This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. Local productions seen on Delta College Public Media are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. Junior Doan of Junior Doan's A Spark. Last week we aired part one of a two-part interview with American political scientist, speaker, and best-selling author on men's and women's issues, Warren Farrell. During the interview, we talked about how he became interested in men's and women's issues, his involvement in the feminist movement, and the complex dynamics of the role of the father and families. In today's program, we will continue our conversation with a discussion on responsibility, empathy, and marriage. If you've missed part one, you can visit juniordone.com and view the interview in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm a grandmother now, to my great surprise. And <laughs> as I watch, <laughs> well, not to my surprise, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, but as I look around their age group and what they're getting taught and what's in the, the general public culture, the concept of responsibility, the concept of respect, the concept of duty, the concept of considering others, just what you're talking about, is certainly diminished and sometimes not mentioned. So I'm asking myself, I, even in the 60s, 70s, when those right things came out, I, I remember walking down 76th Street and saying to myself, everybody's talking about rights, 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 but where's the responsibilities with, that comes with having a right? And so here we are 50 years later or whatever it is, and we, we, we don't have the knack quite for coupling the two yet. But uh, you're a psychologist. You have certainly uh, observed our culture over these decades. What's the next step that we can expect in our culture? Some people say too late, and some people will say it will swing back the other way. It's never too late for humans to change, um, and humans, and, and we must change. Um, you know, when, I, I, as you know, I'm a very big supporter of women's rights, but when you make a decision to have a child, the second you make, you exercise that right, you transfer your, you, 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 you take on as the right that you chose to have the responsibility, the, the responsibility to raise a child 
um, and have the, the child's best interests be your responsibility. You lose the right to just think of yourself. You, you take on the responsibility of making it your, your obligation to think of the children's needs. And the children do best when, they're, when they are taught responsibilities, when they are raised by both parents, when there is boundary enforcement, when there is postponed gratification, uh, when there are family dinner nights where, where, where everybody learns how to listen to each other. Uh, where um, where there's the types of things that I talk about in the boy crisis about dad style parenting, which includes things like knowing how to tease, knowing how to be teased, knowing when teasing goes too far, knowing when it's, uh, it doesn't, knowing how to roughhouse, that does, isn't, does, doesn't just create the benefits of roughhousing that I talked about before, but also creates a parent-child bond. And that bond gives the child the incentive to be able to uh, be willing to um, hear what the father requires without resenting the father because there is such a bond. It, 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 it involves things like the immersion in nature, uh, which dads are more likely to do to take the children out into camping for the weekend and letting the, letting the children wander and get lost within a, within a certain degree. Um, and when the mom is there, um, the child is protected from getting too too lost, <laughs> type of thing as as a, as a norm, and so there are so many things that um, the the the, play, the playfulness um, that dads turn almost everything into a game. Uh, when I was shopping with our, our daughters, um, you know, if I was in the supermarket. Um, you know that they would be um, encouraged to um, look, you know, look at what the um, uh, the back of um, the ingredients was the ingredients were, and to sort of like um, you know and compete with each other about um, you know what, what you know what what's the difference between sugar and added sugar and which has the most of that and what the, you know what cereal could they choose that would probably have the least amount of sugar or added sugar, et cetera. And, you know, and, and then take the, the box of cereal and throw it into the, into the, into the um, shopping cart as, 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 as if it were basketball. And those are things that, that dads tend to make everything into a game. And that creates a type of bond um, and the children being willing to deal with the, you know, the mathematical games of competing with each other, uh, uh, you know, about, the amount of sugar or added sugar, the amount of calories and so on. And it's so, so many of the things that dads do, they don't know why they're doing them. They just do them. And, but part of what we need to take responsibility for as dads is to understand what the positive value is of what we do and also what the negative value is of what we do. If it goes too far, there's, there's not a single virtue that I know of that when taken to its extreme, it does not become a vice. And so, um, so, so we need to know the value of what we do, but we also need to know when it gets taken to an extreme. And oftentimes the value of co-parenting and, and the, the uh, checks and balance parenting is that our partner helps us know when it's being taken to, to the extreme. So how does a, a person who wants to be a good dad learn to be a good dad if he doesn't think he knows how to do it? I hope that um, one thing that I hope the Boy Crisis book offers is just spend time with the part of the book that's on um, how to be a good parent, basically, how to be a good dad, and also to share. I mean, 99% of dads would never say that when I roughhouse with my children, that 
uh, in the way that includes boundary enforcement, that it leads to empathy. And you need to know why it leads to empathy, why it leads to, to postpone gratification, uh, why it leads to the ability to have the social skills of distinguishing assertiveness from aggressiveness, um, and explain that in a loving way to, to mom. And so mom, because every mom wants her child to be empathetic and to understand, have social skills and so on, and have postponed gratification. It's just that, that part of your responsibility as a dad is to understand what you intuitively do um, that is of value. There's not just a motherhood instinct. When a child is born, um, a whole group of synapses in your brain that runs parallel to the uh, the females, female synapses that develop um, when a mom ha ha births a child um, are either developed minimally or developed maximally. And if the father takes an interest in the child from when from from when it's in the womb um, to immediately when it's born and doesn't interpret his role as um, disappearing, as being what I call the father's catch-22, which is loving the child by being away from the child, by earning more money, but not spending more time with the child. Um, when the dad interprets um, his parenting role as spending more time with the child and not just focusing on money and being away from the child, uh, the, the synapses in his brain uh, develop so completely that he ends up with what I call a dad brain uh, that is very much parallel to but different than the, the, motherhood, the, the motherhood instinct. Um, both parents develop um, and have a different but overlapping instinct of their own way of protecting and nurturing the child when they see it as their responsibility to be involved uh, with that child's growth and development. So you have always, and I've known you really a lot of our lives, Warren. Uh, a half, and half, a and half century. <laughs> an instinctive uh, or trained ability to listen. I, I just, my early going back to our 20s, I, I just remember your ability to concentrate and hear, because we didn't agree on things necessarily, but to really have dialogue was, and sustained dialogue was different. So many of the people our age, and, uh, but it continues that way. And I, I, I just like to know how you became that way because other people could imitate you I and mean, they may need a tip or two. I think something happened when I was in high school and it was the McCarthy era. And I began to start um, saying in high school, well, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, I, I, I love this country, but I also want to know what the, um, what, what the Soviet Union thinks, what's their perspective on the world. And I remember being looked at by my teachers and even my parents as like, you know, why are you so interested in also hearing the the um, Soviet perspective or the Russian perspective is something, you know, are you anti-American? And to me, it was like, um, no, I'm just curious. I want to know everybody's perspective. And so now where that came from, I'm not completely sure. But what happened for me was when I was in um, a freshman in um, well, early high school, um, the, uh, my father got a job in, in the Netherlands and we moved over to The Hague in Holland, the capital of the Netherlands. 
And, uh, um, and during that summer, I got a job as a cabin boy in Paris. And my cousin was um, about my age. Um, and I, I mentioned this to him, this perspective, and he said, oh, yeah, the America and the Soviet Union are pretty much the same. They're both self-righteous. They both think they know it all. Um, you know, they, they, nobody wants, they don't, neither one of them wants to hear the other, pers other person's, uh, other, the other one's perspective, um, and just sort of laughed at both countries. And what the, that had a very powerful impact on me, just sort of seeing that the things that I was felt criticized for that way of thinking in the United States. When I was in Europe, it was like, you know, everybody just took that for granted that that was that what and it's sort of like, I remember having a strong impact that maybe the things that I felt and the and the desire to listen to multiple perspectives, maybe that wasn't me just being wrong. Maybe that had um, a value to it. And um, so whether that's, you know, whether that thing that sort of did a little click internally um, was um, accurate, was, is an accurate perception of why I felt that way, um, I'm not sure for sure. My, my father was unfortunately not a good listener. And so maybe that um, had an impact on my desire to listen better than he did. Um, and so um, some combination of those things. But um, the, the, certainly when I do interviews, um, I'm not very, um, listening is not something, about, um, but I, I think when I'm out of interview mode, um, I, I just really love hearing, um, multiple perspectives on almost anything. Maybe you're like me and that is, we're just more curious yeah, than, uh, I always wonder why I want to know, you know, yeah. I don't have to agree, but I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I have yeah. even ingested, you know, maybe yeah. they have a point. But the other thing that I remember so well about you and you continue to do is you maintain position. You listen intently, but you maintain position. It's not that you're blending in one way or another. And um, you're a gift to talk to, just a gift to talk to. No animosity, no anger, no shaking of the head, no dismissing. It's, if you could teach that to people, that's worthy of at least a paragraph in one of your books, maybe a chapter. And I well, hope, <laughs> I hope I, you take that on. Well, I the good news is that I have taken that on. Um, I I absolutely agree with you that even that more important than the boy crisis is the ability to hear perspectives from from the, uh, differently. And for the last thirty years. I've been conducting couples communication workshops, and as I've begun, uh, because I started to see, for example, that the you know the boy crisis doesn't just de um, develop and emanate from you know the 56 developed nations that you know that I talked about before, but it also emanates from the fact that um, usually it's a reason, often it's a result of divorce. But if I go back and say, well, what is divorce the result of? It's often people being uh, unable to feel that they're that, that, that they're not walk it's, it's couples walking on eggshells out of fear of saying what they're concerned about or what the other partner might feel is a criticism um, because their experience with criticizing the other their partner um, is that they uh, that their partner will just become defensive and it will escalate into a fight so they just keep their feelings to themselves. And then eventually, you know, it builds up into a, a volcano that comes out in, in negative form in a much bigger way. And so I started to see that some 30 years ago. 
Um, and so I started to do couples workshops that I came to call role mate to soulmate. And then eventually began to see that as even more important than the boy crisis. And so um, I've, I just submitted a, a manuscript to my publisher that will be published next year called, called excuse me, role mate to soulmate. And, but during the COVID period of time, I had some time to be able to develop uh, role mate to soulmate into a course um, that was um, on on Zoom. Uh, that is, a, you know, that if you go to my warrenfarrell.com website, you can go to the couples communication section and, and get that course uh, for, um, and that will take you through uh, module by module. It'll take you through every step of what you and your partner need to do um, to actually develop a practice that allows you to hear personal criticism, not only without becoming defensive but to before you hear the personal criticism, altering the naturally defensive biological state that we're all programmed for, that was good for survival, but terrible for love, and alter the, um, move into an altered state that allows you to hear your partner's feelings and fears uh, without becoming defensive, but instead associating them with an opportunity to be more deeply loved. And that I consider, I hope, will probably be my most important contribution um, to others. Aren't there different kinds of marriages though, where different things are important and areas of commonality or where they enjoy or, or cooperate different to the degree of closeness or involvement or, um, so I can't, I, I, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but that's one of the thoughts. The other thing, I'm thinking with all your experience and all, and maybe it's too personal a question, of course, don't answer it, just tell me later. When you and Liz married, what habits did you find nourishing and promoting closeness and clarity? Every marriage does have, there are many, many different types of marriages with many different types of goals, as we both know. Um, but the, um, the, as you begin to discover that maybe you want to travel a lot and your partner wants to stay home a lot or um, whatever the differences are, or one of you likes to go to church every Sunday, the other one likes to play golf every Sunday. Um, and then uh, the, the, as the, no matter what the, what the things are that are creating stresses or your goals of your marriage, um, you always discover uh, that there's tensions in, or differences, at least in one area and the, or the other. And so, and those differences are often experienced as um, either criticisms or things that you, you sort of like, you, you bury um, the, the, the talking about because you're afraid they'll create conflict. And that is the key um, to, is being able to sort of know that when you bring those differences up, um, that be that that you can that you first have a discipline and an art um, what, what I call the, the the sub the subtitle of the role mate to soulmate is the art and discipline of love that you learn how to be able to every single week have a time set aside where you hear your partner's most important concern uh, no matter what that is and you but before you hear that you don't just say, okay, tell me your most important concern. You alter your natural biological state to become defensive about that by doing a set of meditations 
Um, so for example, I'll ask everybody in the workshop to, to write down separately on a piece of paper that their partner will never see, uh, whether or not they um, would, the, if their partner had a 50% chance of, of risking, uh, of dying, let's say they were drowning or in a car and they're um, ready to be in an accident, if you had the opportunity to, um, to take a 50% chance of risking your own life with, if you believe that there was a 100% chance of, of saving your partner's life, would you take a 50% chance oh. of risking your own life in order to save your partner's life? And even though um, many of the people in my workshop, maybe a quarter of them, are thinking about a divorce or a separation, uh, about 85, 90% of the males, about 90% of the males and about 85% of the females say they would take a risk of, um, of losing their own life in order to be able to save their partner's life. So then once they discover that about themselves and each other, then the first meditation is, well, if I'm willing to risk my life to save my partner's life, the least I can do is listen to the, my partner. Um, and so just sort of seeing how um, the, the um, much easier it is. The second meditation is what I call the love guarantee, where you say to yourself before you hear your partner's criticism, if I, um, if I provide a safe environment for my partner's feelings, no matter how they're stated, no matter how distorted they are, no matter whether my partner says them in an exaggerated, critical tone of voice or not, if I provide a safe environment for my partner's feelings, my partner will feel safe with me. And the more safe she or he feels, the more they'll feel loved by me, the more that love they feel by me, the more love they'll feel for me. So there's nothing, absolutely nothing that can be said by my partner that won't, if I listen to it and just hear my partner's story, that will not increase my partner's love for me. What do I have to lose? Um, and then there's four other meditations that I won't go through because of the, uh, but, um, and then only when that partner has, has absorbed internally a feeling of desiring to provide safety and knowing how it will increase love, does the partner who's listening to the criticism say, okay, I'm ready to hear that. And then when the partner loses focus, um, is I teach the partner how to say hold so that they can recenter their focus again on um, feeling safe before they hear anything more. And so then after that's all done by one partner, I have them reverse it and listen and give their response. But before they give their response, uh, the partner who shared the criticism um, has to move into that altered space as well. And so that's just a little tidbit of what I teach in the role mate to soulmate course that you know that, that's fortunately available online now, um, and so that's um, and that I consider the most important thing because not only for couples, but also um, beginning to train people to do that with their colleagues, with other people in their lives. Like uh, a liberal daughter might be in, come home from college in favor of reparations. And the conservative father says that reparations are only a way of spoiling people and so on. And rather than them attacking each other, um, there's, there's a whole method that I use to be able to help them be able to hear each other and hear, hear each other's best intent. How would you propose doing it in a business setting? Then the word love, um, in a business setting, 
the word love is no longer appropriate because um, you can't say a love guarantee. So the word respect is, is substituted for um, love guarantee. So in a business setting, um, when you um, are critical of an employer, employee, or a colleague, um, if you um, and that employer, employee, or colleague, um, instead of responding, instead of thinking to themselves while, they, while you're talking about what their response can be uh, that will um, prove them right and you wrong, they're thinking instead of, of, of the value of what you're saying, and they um, um, plan to um, share what they heard you say, um, ask whether there's anything distorted about it, ask whether there's anything uh, that, that they missed about it, and ask if there's anything else that you have to add. One of the meditations there is saying to yourself, um, if I provide a safe environment for my colleagues' feelings, my partner will increase his or her respect for me because you increase your respect for somebody that listens to a perspective that, that, um, that they, you know that they don't share uh, because so few people do that, <laughs> that the few people who do, you really respect and you feel trust around and you feel safe around. And that allows, that, that, that allows you and your colleague to be able to feel safe around each other and to be having a safe environment to say whatever she or he feels. That assumes goodwill on both sides. Part of what increases your respect for somebody is to whether or not they do use that as a manipulation or against you in some way um, in the future. And so um, part of increasing that respect in, incorporates that, um, whether, whether they misuse what they learn. So you're saying it really creates not only respect, but trust. It creates respect, it creates trust, but it also creates um, the likelihood that you will be promoted more because almost everybody feels around you feels like they can trust you. And, um, and those people get promoted more, more frequently. Um, because people want to have as their bosses and their bosses' bosses uh, somebody they can feel safe um, expressing things to. Do you think that's more effective than the autocratic boss? Uh, uh, I have three answers. I mean, currently to it, it is, but I mean, yeah. looking across, wherever you look across, what could you add to the conversation along that line? I, I think it's my answer to that would be yes, yes, and yes. I mean, it's so much more effective. Everybody, every increasingly now, um, we're especially among people who are the, you know, the brightest and the best. Uh, they want an environment where they um, where 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 they're heard, uh, where they where what they have to say and contribute um, is responded to in a way that at least it's heard well. And at least they know the boss or the boss's boss really gets it, even if she or he has a um, has a different perspective on that. Um, when people are heard, um, it's an enormous benefit, um, more so than just getting a little bit more money. Um, um, and the, the more you have um, money and the more skilled you are, the more gifted you are, uh, the more that becomes um, of, of um, primary value. Thank you, Warren. Uh, a fabulous conversation, the bottom line of which is learn how to listen, learn how to share, create trust, 
to have a better life through better relationships, whether yes. it's a father, son, worker, marital spouse, everybody. Hard to do sometimes. Another conversation we may have. <laughs> Absolutely. Not everyone's is as courageous as you or experienced <laughs> as you. To contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.juniadonethespark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones the Spark. Local productions seen on Delta College Public Media are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.